listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Um, So we're in a series right now called Come and See, and it's just been a short two-week series. This is, this is the, the final week of it, and, and, it, and it's basically been about um, the importance of, of inviting people to, to experience God within the context of, of a church body. And, and, uh, and so if, if you're, you're uh, not a believer, admittedly, the, this, this message may not uh, super um, apply to you. Um, but starting next week, like I said, we, we are going to have a, uh, a new series called Why Church, and so I want to invite you back next week for that. But um, in, soci- in the society we live in, we are bombarded with invitations, aren't we? Like, we are crazily bombarded with invitations, whether it's a, an invitation to participate in a sale or it's an invitation to become friends with someone on social media, or an invitation for a celebration, like um, the Riveras sent out invitations for Orion's birthday party. It was easily the coolest invitation I've ever seen. It was just a lightsaber that like yes. pulled up. It was so cool. Um, he owns a print shop, so he can pull that kind of stuff off. But <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, but you may not realize it. But here's the thing: is we are being invited to participate with so many different things on so many different levels that in some ways we've become a little numb to it. And, and, and so some invitations are clever, uh, like those billboards you see for Chick-fil-A with the cows like hanging off of them, and, and it's like inviting us to eat more chicken, right? Because they're cows, right? And, uh, and, and that's clever, right? Uh, and cute because it's, because it's, because of the way it's done, but it's actually nothing more than an invitation to eat at their restaurant, right? And other invitations can look a little more manipulative, like, like when someone writes on social media, I bet none of my Facebook friends will prove that they're Christians by reposting <laughs> this picture of blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus, right? And and, uh, and, and write, he is Lord on their status, right? And, and when you think about it, that's, a, that's, that's an invitation. It's an invitation to take on their challenge of telling people Jesus is a surfer dude, right? And, 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 and I, mean, I, I mean, he still is Lord if I don't do that, right? Like, anybody with me on that? But, but uh, every hour of every day, we are being barraged with invitations. Invitations to save money by applying for this interest rate or to, to entertain our restless minds by, by playing this game app or to support this charity by giving. Some invitations are positive and for good purpose and, and other, others are negative and have hidden agendas, but one fact remains is that most, one fact remains is that those invitations never stop coming. They never stop coming, and we have become numb to it almost as a society. Did you, have you ever found yourself driving down the freeway wishing there were more billboards on the freeway? Like, and a lot of times these 
these extremely expensive invitation campaigns are just lost on us because we're numb to it. And there was a time when inviting people to church was fairly low-key. But these days, churches are renting billboards and sending out huge mass mailers and covering their buildings and banners and, and doing huge marketing campaigns and giveaways and, 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 and just to get people to come to church. And, and don't get me wrong, there's absolutely nothing wrong with any of that. In fact, we do some of those things here at the mission ourselves. But, I mean, we haven't rent our, our first billboard yet. Um, I think maybe that's next, though. I, I, think, I think we're probably going to have Ricardo just on there like, yes, church, uh-huh, yes, right? <laughs> this is what church looks like. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. There's, no. there's nothing wrong with invitations as advertising, but honestly, if we're being real here, I, I'm not sure it's a very effective way of inviting someone to church. I'm just, I just don't know if it is. When I, when I think about it, some of the best things that I've ever discovered, I've learned about through word of mouth. You know, uh, I, can, I, can, I can't tell you how many times I drove past that Chick-fil-A billboard, right, or, or the restaurant, and didn't think twice about it, really. But when my friend Mike Wilson said, oh my gosh, you have got to try Chick-fil-A. I can't get enough of it. They have this special dipping sauce. Actually, they call it Chick-fil-A sauce, and I'm pretty sure it's made up of unicorns, fairy dust, and crack. And it's so good, and you have got to try it. You have got to try it. After that recommendation, that was like high praise. I, I was really excited and interested to try, try some Chick-fil-A. Uh, or another example for me is, is I, I love to share music with people. I, I always have. I, I, I love finding bands that no one's ever heard of before and like connecting them to people who might dig their music. And, and so when someone whose music taste I greatly respect, not Ricardo, says... Um, <laughs> says, hey, this band is good. You should check them out, right? I, I, the first thing I do is whip out my trusty iPhone and look them up, right? That's the first thing I do. It's just a natural, check them out, okay, right? Because there's a certain level of trust between us. And, and I know it's probably, well, first of all, I know they're not going to point me to something like the Backstreet Boys or something like that. And, and I know it's probably going to be worth the effort, right? And, and, and this is the example that's set for us in the Bible when the first few disciples started following Jesus. Uh, would you turn with me in your Bibles or your iDevices to, uh, to John chapter 1, the book of John chapter 1? We've been hitting John a lot lately. It's, it's been good. Um, the book of John is a little different than some of the other gospel accounts because when it starts, Jesus has already grown up, right? And he's ready to start his ministry. John the Baptist was already on the scene baptizing people, but this baptism was an outward sign of repentance from their sins uh, and a desire to be spiritually clean. Today, when we talk about baptism, lots of times we immediately jump to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ because that's what we know. But the act of baptism had been around long before Christianity, actually. Uh, it was used mostly for when someone uh, who wasn't Jewish was converting to Judaism. And the kind of baptism 
what, uh, this kind of baptism was a cleansing ceremony that uh, you wouldn't need to take part of part in if you were already Jewish, because Gentiles, which is just a word for everybody who wasn't Jewish, um, uh, were considered to be unclean. See, racism, even, alive and well, even in the Bible, right? And uh, so, but John comes along, John the Baptist, and he begins to preach that not just the Gentiles need to be cleansed, but everyone, including Jewish people, uh, John brought this revolutionary idea that everyone needed to repent of their sins and be cleansed because the Messiah was coming, right? And, and, and when the uppity Jewish religious leaders of the day caught wind of this concept that John was teaching, they, they came to investigate, right? And, and in John 1.22, the Jewish leaders said to John, what do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees, so they asked him, uh, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither uh, the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered him, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. The Pharisees are basically asking him, what gives you the right to be baptizing people to forgive their sins? And John is like, no, you don't get it. This baptism is just a symbol of desire to be cleansed, but the one who's coming after me, he's the real deal, right? He, John's like, my job is just to help people prepare their hearts and point them to him, right? And, and that's exactly what John does. When John baptized Jesus, God made it very clear that this was his son John was baptizing. And, and ever since then, every time John saw Jesus on the street, John would begin to like point Jesus out to everyone around him. And, and John would shout things like in verse 29 where it says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And skipping to verse 32, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove. It remained on him. I myself didn't, did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, the one whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Amen. And, amen. and another time, John's standing with two of his students, right? He's standing there with two of his boys, and, and, they, and they see Jesus and walking by, uh, and John starts up again in verse 35. Behold, the Lamb of God. What's funny about this instance particularly is that John's disciples actually just like get up, and go follow Jesus, right? <laughs> and to any other teacher, that probably would have been like a slap in the face, right? But John knew his role in all of this. He knew that uh, it was his job to point people to Jesus. So actually, um, he was probably happy about it and, and took no offense because that was his job. He, he said so himself. And, and this is the point 
in the gospel account, in this gospel account that Jesus begins to gather his disciples and and, he, and so let's see how he does that let's 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 uh, pick up this account in John 1 starting at verse 35 <clears throat> the next day again John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said behold the lamb of god The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. For it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who... One of the two... Who heard John speaking? Uh, who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and, and said to him, "We have found the Messiah, which means Christ." He he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, "You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be ca- called Cephas, which means Peter." Um, The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethesda, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said To you, I saw you under a fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So John's two disciples, right, come over to Jesus and say, Teacher, where are you staying? And I'm not really sure why they led with that question. That seems like an awkward question. It kind of has like an air of like a boy talking to a girl for the first time that he likes. Like, like, hey, um, where are you staying? You know, <laughs> like, like it just has, has kind of an awkward air to it. And, and, but Jesus, uh, but, but in Jesus' case, he, he doesn't turn them away or like give them a fake phone number or like give them some vague answer and keep walking. No, he, he says to them, Come, and, and, and you'll see. And, and those subtle few words were an invitation into Jesus' life, right? Rather than just answering their question and moving on, Jesus chose to spend time with them. And, and, and by the end of the day, Andrew is so excited that he goes and finds his brother, Simon, and is like, you have got to come check this out. Like, we have found the Messiah and, and this is just the beginning of the domino effect that, that spending time with Jesus has with these guys, right? And the next day, Jesus goes to Galilee and meets Philip, and he simply says to Philip, follow me. And, and, and after a while, Philip 
went and found Nathanael and said, we found him, uh, the one who, who Moses and the prophets wrote about. It's Jesus of Nazareth. And, and Philip was skeptical, and he's like, Nazareth? Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Like, Nazareth, really? But, but Philip doesn't rush to like a defense strategy or do something awkward that pushes Nathaniel away even further. Uh, he, he simply just says, well, just, just come and see. Come, come and see for yourself. And when Jesus sees Nathanael coming, he calls out to him in verse 47 and says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree, and, and I saw you. Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these, right? And, and that's what we want. That's what we want for people in our lives, right? That our family and our friends, we, we want them to see greater things. That, that's why we invite people to church, not because the music is good or because we have a, a superior children's program or, or whatever. And it, it's not any of that. We invite people to church because we want them to experience the greatness of God. The life-transforming power of Jesus Christ. That's what we want them to experience. We want them to see greater things. And, and, and why does it feel so daunting and awkward sometimes to invite people to, into church or, or to talk to people about Jesus? I want to share with you some insights that I believe we can take away from these scriptures and also share a couple of thoughts of my own. And the first takeaway is this. The first takeaway is this. Live a life that points to Jesus. Live a life that points to Jesus. That's our first takeaway. That's what John the Baptist did. I, I think a lot of times when we engage with people who are not believers, we feel like we have to have all the answers or we have to come up immediately with the solution to their problems. But the truth is that none of us have all the answers and our lives are, are, are messed up too in one way or another. And, and the only difference between a non-believer and a person who lives a life that points to Jesus is that that believer knows that they can't save themselves. They know that they need a savior. So, so let's not pretend that we have it all together. Let's not pretend like we have all the answers. Um, these days, people can smell a Christian on a high horse a mile away. I'm serious. Anybody else know that to be true? And it's a long fall off a high horse. So let's not pretend to be people we're not. Let's just let Jesus be who he is. Amen? Let's live our lives pointing to him as the answer. The second takeaway is invite people into a journey with you, not just to church. Invite them into a journey with you, not just to church. We see this in Jesus' response to the two students of John who sought him out. They came to him and they asked, where are you staying? 
And Jesus didn't just tell them, he invited them to come see for themselves. Jesus invited them to journey with him. There was a a relational element to this invitation. And And I do believe that there is a time when the Holy Spirit directs us to talk to specific people uh, that don't know Jesus or maybe invite them to church. And uh, I believe that the Holy Spirit does direct us in that way. But I would venture to say that unless the Holy Spirit is truly at work, that those times are less effective in our culture today. There is something about being in relationship with someone, actually knowing them and them knowing you that makes the invitation mean so much more. But a word of caution, don't just make someone your pet project, okay? I've seen that happen, and and it never ends well. Don't just make someone your pet project. Make them your friend. Invite them to journey with you. Do life with them. And the third takeaway goes along with that one, and, and it's identify your mission field and invest in it. And invest You may notice that not all the guys we read about today were brought in by Jesus himself. Jesus brought a few guys in, and those guys brought in a few guys that that they knew. And and, and sometimes I think we can get so excited about Jesus, which he's worthy of our excitement, and and, but we can get a little overambitious and to see people saved on a large scale, and that we forget that the radical love of God is contagious. Something we have discovered here at the church is that if we cast our nets out with like a large church event, like our extravaganza Easter egg hunt or our fall festival at Halloween, if we cast our nets out with a large church event hoping to catch a bunch of fish at once, it's far less effective than if every person who attends the mission would use their own pole in their own fishing spot, and invest in bringing a couple of fish in. Now, this is a far less sexy way of doing things. But sometimes the proven methods are practical for a reason. Invest in those already in your life. Be mindful when opportunities arise. And take the risk of pointing them to Jesus. And the fourth and final takeaway that I have for you this morning is that it it feels like a no-brainer when I say it, but I still got to say it, okay? We invite people to church to know Jesus, to know Jesus. This isn't a timeshare we're trying to sell them. This isn't some bogus swampland in Florida. Like, this is... This isn't any of those things, so there's no need to feel awkward about it. We are introducing them to a Savior, a Savior that has the capability to drastically change their life, to increase their joy, to bring stability to their foundation, not to mention their eternity. But the only way that that will happen is if when they come to church, they meet with Jesus, right? No amount of giveaways, advertising, programming can accomplish in someone what Christ can. 
When I come into this place week after week, I'm usually the first one here on Sundays. When when I get here on Sunday morning, I'm telling you guys, I am dead set on taking the name of Jesus as high as it can go with you guys. I'm dead set on that goal. and, And you have my word that when you take the risk and invite someone to our church, that we will do everything in our power to make sure that they don't leave more excited about our church than they do about Jesus. Because he's why we're here, right? He's what this is all about. This, he, he is the reason why we do what we do. And we want people to come and see for themselves the greatness of our God. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want to pray. As the worship team comes up, let's just bow our heads in prayer. King Jesus, we honor you. We say that this is all for you. This is all about you. Father, may your praise never grow dim in this place. Father, I pray just a Holy Spirit covering over everyone in this room today. That you would give us wisdom and discernment. That you would give us courage and boldness. Lord, I'm sure every one of us can think of one name that just needs you. Father, burden our hearts for those people. Lord, may it be a weight that we carry daily in prayer until we see the revelation of Christ in their life. Father, have your way. Give us the words when we don't have words. Remind us to just be ourselves and not pretend like we have it all together. Help us to live lives that point to you. As the ushers come forward, I want to cover our tithes and offering today. Father, we, we give back to you what is already yours, Lord. Everything we have is a gift from you, and we bring it before you now. We give back to you what you've given us, Lord. Father, we, we pray that you
You multiply it and you send it out to the nations in our neighborhoods, Lord. That, that the things that we bring before you now in our offering, Lord, would be sent out to further your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.